Well, it's good to see so many of you here with us this morning. I know this is that time of year when we've got a lot of people uh, traveling out, missing some of our regulars, but we've also got some traveling in, have some visitors here with us today, and whether you're a member or a visitor, we're so thankful for your attendance today. I hope the time we spend here together will be strengthening and uplifting and edifying for all of us. Brother Coleman mentioned in his opening prayer, as we all know, this is that season of the year when the religious world is observing Christmas. Scripture doesn't give us the exact birth date of Christ, nor does it tell us to celebrate his birthday. But with that said, it's never out of place to think about or to talk about the birth of Jesus. History is a story that can best be told in terms of people. Now, that's the way I see it as someone who loves history. I know that for a lot of us, we learn just memorizing a bunch of dry uh, dates and locations, one thing after another. But when we think about it properly, even though there have been important movements, there have been notable battles, there have been great institutions that have been developed, at the heart of all of that, history is a story of people. There was a time when everyone believed that the sun revolved around the earth. Then Copernicus came. There was a time when people walked everywhere they went, or perhaps you rode a horse, or if you were lucky, you rode in a, a wagon of some sort, a buggy. Then Henry Ford came. There was a time when darkness settled all over all the earth at dusk. But then Thomas Edison came. And I think each of us could put this to the test in our own lives. Think about what force has had the greatest impact, the greatest influence upon you. It might be one of your parents, mother, father, grandparent maybe. Could be a teacher that you had. It could be some employer, an old boss that you used to have. It could even be a friend. But I imagine for most of us, What's been most impactful in our lives has been a person. Well, in the birth of Jesus Christ, we are confronted with the most consequential personality in all of human history, God in the flesh. That's what the incarnation is, that God literally came and dwelled among human beings the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth in human form. When Isaiah says that his name will be called Emmanuel, that's what Emmanuel means, literally. God with us. It's that person of the divine Son of God that's had the greatest impact on you, the greatest impact upon me, the greatest impact on all of human history. The question for us then is, how do we respond to that? How have we been impacted by Christ, and how do we react when faced, when confronted with him? Listen as I read those familiar words that we find in the second chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning in verse number eight. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Common, regular, everyday shepherds going to Bethlehem to see the Christ child. Now that should speak to us. Because if shepherds, just ordinary everyday folk, are important to God, we must be important to God too. They're fortunate enough to be the first ones to receive the news of this momentous event here. And as the old saying goes, God must love ordinary people because he made so many of them. Well, that should be heartening to us. God must love and be interested in all of us. Now let's turn to another familiar passage uh, that we had part of it read just a few moments ago in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it's written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These wise men represent a slightly different group from those shepherds. These are the, the aristocracy, the elites the wealthy, the learned. And I know that there's a, a good bit of class warfare going on in our society today. But what this reminds us is that God cares about those people too. In both the shepherds and in the wise men, we see these scenes of joy and of worship, adoration in the truest sense of the word. But there's another reaction to the birth of Jesus. It's just a few verses later. When we think of Herod the Great, 
even people who don't really know anything about Scripture know that name, Herod. I mean, there's a reason among all the Matthews and Marks and Johns running around that you don't hear of any baby boys named Herod. And that's because when we think of Herod, we think of darkness and hatred and death. Down in verse number 16, we read this terrible statement. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Why do people react like Herod did? Why on the one hand are some filled with love and joy and some filled with hatred and darkness? And that's really the question I want us to ask ourselves today. How have we been impacted by the coming of Christ? And what are the various reactions of these three different groups of people or peoples? What do they have to tell us, to inform us about how people respond to Jesus? I want us to look through the the lens of these three groups. And hopefully that will help us to understand better how we respond to Christ. So, first of all, if we can speculate a little bit on why God chose to announce this birth in the way that he did, I think we can say that some of these received the news because they were prepared for the message. The shepherds and the wise men were prepared for that wonderful news that was brought. Somehow, their hearts had been plowed like a field. They'd been fertilized. They were ready for that seed that was planted to, to blossom there in that soil. Think about the shepherds. Who understood the idea of sacrifice conceptually better than shepherds did? Do you know how close Bethlehem is to Jerusalem? They're only about five and a half miles apart. For reference, I looked it up. That's just about exactly how far apart downtown Liberty and downtown Dayton are. They're very close. There's only a a few hills in between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And on those hillsides, shepherds raised their sheep. And most of those sheep were destined at some point to go to the temple to be used as sacrifices. Every Jewish family every year was commanded to go to Jerusalem and to offer a lamb at the Passover on behalf of that family. So think about that. We're talking about thousands, tens of thousands of lambs right there. And that's on top of the two lambs that were offered daily as part of the burnt offering. And that's on top of all of the other sacrifices that were routinely offered. Sometimes those going to Passover would bring a lamb with them on that long journey, but as often as not, they'd wait till they got to the environs of Jerusalem and they'd buy a lamb there before they went to the temple. And of course, that goes for all of those routine sacrifices that were offered. So what I'm saying is that these shepherds knew about sacrifice. 
they spent all of their lives watching little lambs be born, nurturing them, raising them up, knowing full well that one day a priest more than likely would come from the temple and he'd buy those lambs and he'd take them back there to Jerusalem to be offered as sacrifices, to die for the sins of the people. The shepherds knew, perhaps more keenly than anyone else, the consequence of sin, that it required a price to be paid in blood, the life forfeited for sin. So how fitting is it that these shepherds should be the first ones to hear this message about the Lamb of God, the one who was, as the angel said, to be the Savior, Christ the Lord. They were prepared for that message. So when God spoke through the angels, they listened. They received that message with great joy. The wise men, too, were prepared. Evidently, they had been studying the prophets of Israel. Now, our best guess is that they came from Persia. We know they came from the east. The usual supposition is that they came from Persia. And, of course, Persia is where not only there had been a number of Jews in general, but in particular, God's man, Daniel, some centuries before, had held such great influence and power. Could it be that maybe they were familiar with some of Daniel's prophecies of the Messiah that are somewhat obscure to us today, but they were clearer to them in their day and age? Maybe. I don't know. But however they were prepared, they were waiting and they were hoping. And when they saw that bright star shining there in the sky, they knew what it meant. They knew it was a sign, a symbol that the Savior, the King of Israel, had been born. And so they immediately packed up all their things and they headed out on this journey to see him and to worship him. That's because their hearts were already prepared. But in contrast, Herod wasn't ready. You ever wondered why Herod didn't see the star? I mean, if it was bright enough to be seen hundreds, thousands of miles away by the wise men, surely Herod could have seen it just a few miles away. Why didn't he see it? Why didn't he hear the angels singing? Why didn't he see the heavens light up in the night sky? It's because he wasn't prepared to receive that message. He could have seen. He could have heard. But he didn't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. His heart wasn't prepared to receive that message. Christ's birth came just as surely to Herod as it did to the shepherds, just as surely as it did to the wise men, but Herod didn't receive it because he wasn't ready for it. Secondly, then, we see the varying reactions to this news that was received. The wise men and the shepherds possessed faith, and not only did they possess it, they demonstrated that by stepping out on a journey of faith. But Herod, of course, wasn't. Think here again about the shepherds. I think their words are noteworthy. If we go back to Luke chapter 2, shortly after the angelic host appears here and declares to them what's happened and they're singing these praises to God, in verse number 15, those shepherds looked at one another and they say, 
Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They didn't say, let's go to Bethlehem and see if this thing's really true. They didn't question what God had told them. They weren't skeptical of the angel's announcement. They didn't think about all the impossibilities of this, humanly speaking. No, they said, matter-of-factly, let's go and let's see this thing that's happened. It's a journey of faith for them. They were confident when this message came to them that it was true. What about the wise men? You ever put yourself in their place? All of these hundreds and hundreds of miles away, they see this star shining in the sky and they go and they start to prepare for their journey. They're loading up their camels there. Their saddlebags are full of food and clothes and, of course, their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And maybe a neighbor comes up in the front yard and says, oh, what's going on? Well, we're going on a trip. Oh, really? Where are you going? We don't know. Okay, well, do you have a map? No, we're going to follow a star. Oh, okay. Well, where's that going to take you? Well, we're going to see a king. Oh, a king. Well, do you know his name? No. <laughs> All we know is that we've seen this star and we're going to go and follow it to where it leads us. And when we find him, we're going to worship him. That's a journey of faith, a step out into the unknown, not knowing precisely what they're going to find. Now, their faith was rooted in, based upon evidence. That's important for us to note because so many people today try to put faith and reason in tension as if they're in opposition to one another, and you can't believe in facts if you have faith. But in fact, their interpretation of these facts, seeing the star there shining in the night sky, that's the fact the way they interpreted it, the way they knew its significance was because of the faith that they had. Just like all faith, it was rooted in fact. But what distinguishes those who have faith and those who don't is not that one believes in facts and the other doesn't. It's that for those with a different worldview, there's no grid to interpret those facts, to understand their meaning, to understand their significance. So others could have seen that very same star, but because they liked faith not have cared anything about it, not have known what it meant. And that's what distinguishes Herod. Because for him, there was no faith. He heard the message from those wise men. They come to his palace and they say, where is he who's been born, king of the Jews? We saw his star rise or we saw it there in the east and we've come to worship him. And when Herod heard that, it says he was troubled. King what king? The only king I know about in Judea is me. Where's this upstart king? I haven't heard anything about that. So quickly he called together the chief priest and the scribes and he made inquiries of them and they told him that there in Bethlehem the Messiah was supposed to be born. And you know the story. Herod sent the wise men on. But the point is he had that same message available to him. At that point, he could have learned everything that the wise men knew about this king of the Jews who was being born. But the difference is he didn't have the heart of faith to receive that message. So while the king was there only a few miles away and could have gone there himself, 
This wasn't anything that concerned him except as a threat to his power. You see, same set of facts, but he interpreted it through a different worldview, through the lens of his own self-interest, his own pride, his own power. That's because there was no faith in his heart. That really is the crux of the problem because there's a great deal here that is inexplicable. Some people try to explain these sorts of things away. Some people even try to do it from a Christian perspective apologetically, but you can't explain the virgin birth. You can't explain the the heavens opening and angels singing here in praise to God. You can't explain this star shining in the night sky and pointing the way here to where Jesus was. You can't explain all of the drama and the glory and the wonder because it's divine. This is God at work, and much of that is mysterious to us. It is inexplicable. It can only be understood, accepted, believed, trusted in with a heart of faith. Finally, in light of that, what distinguished the wise men and the shepherds from Herod is that they were willing to pay the price. They were willing to make a sacrifice. Think about the shepherds. We mentioned this already. They said, let us go and see this thing that has happened. That's a major decision for them because in going into Bethlehem, they had to leave their sheep. Now, we know how important their sheep were to them. All of their livelihood was wrapped up in these sheep. And they were going at night. That means an animal like a wolf could have come and attacked them and killed them. That means it would have been much easier for a thief to come and to steal these sheep. We mentioned their faith already. Well, here's a powerful demonstration of it. They didn't worry about any of that. They said instead, let's leave this all behind. Let's seek the Lamb of God. They put their trust in the good shepherd to watch over their flocks. The wise men paid a price too. They left everything they knew behind them, their homes, family, friends, whatever business interests that they had, all to step out and go to a place they really didn't know where they were going on a journey that was long and difficult, perhaps even dangerous, left it all to follow a star, just to pay homage to this new king and to give him these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But not Herod. Herod hears there's a new king, a threat to his power, and he just wants to know, where is he? He's afraid. And rather than surrendering, rather than paying a price himself, he clutches everything. He goes and wraps his arms around the throne, metaphorically speaking, because he's just interested in holding on to his silver and his gold and his power. The incarnation of Christ means surrender. Not merely surrender in the sense that the shepherds and the wise men did, but we think about what Jesus did. It means that the God of heaven looked down and he saw the condition of humanity and he said, I can't allow this to go on any longer. I have to act. And so as Paul talks about at length in Philippians chapter 2, he poured himself out, his divinity, his godhood, into the form of a human being. He became flesh and blood like us. He walked the streets like we do. 
He ate and he drank, he laughed, he talked, he breathed the dust that we do. He let us persecute him, he let us mock him, he let us beat him, drive spikes into his wrist and into his feet. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, as Paul says. The most painful, excruciating, literally, that's where that word comes from, out of the cross, most excruciating and painful and humiliating death that we can possibly imagine. The coming of Christ means giving. Not giving brightly colored gifts to our friends and family members. Not giving gold and frankincense and myrrh. But the giving of self sacrificial, self-emptying, self-denying love. And that's the take-home message for us this morning. Christ came into this world. We don't know the month or the day. We don't even know the year, honestly. There's some debate on that. But whenever he came, he came. And his coming changed everything. How will we respond to his appearing? Some of us may be like the shepherds. Maybe we don't have very much. Maybe we don't know very much according to the world's way of looking at things. But we're ready to listen to what God has to say and to respond in faith. Perhaps some of us are more like those wise men. Maybe we're searching, looking for the truth, asking questions, knowing that God promises that if we're honestly, diligently seeking, we're going to find it. But there could be some, even in this number today, who are more like Herod, resisting all that God's trying to do in their life, trusting instead in themselves and clinging on tightly to this world and what they possess with everything that's in them. And I think perhaps at this time of year, not exclusively at this time of year, but at this time of year, this comes into a little bit sharper focus. Because there are people on the one hand, like those shepherds and like the wise men, who are coming to Jesus to worship him. And then on the other hand, there are people who are like Herod who are standing there hard and cold and defiant, resisting God. What category do you fall into? God wants to take all of the Herods and turn them into wise men and shepherds. But he can only do that if we allow him to do that in us and through us when we're prepared to receive his message, when we respond to it in faith and are willing to step out on that journey of faith, and when we're willing to pay the price, to make a sacrifice, ultimately to surrender ourselves fully, completely to him. The Lord invites you this morning to come to his manger, but more than that, come to the cross, Come before his throne. Pledge your allegiance to Jesus as Lord of your life and to know his love demonstrated for us in coming into this world. 
If you're here this morning and you've never come to him, we want to invite you to do that before you leave today. Place your faith, your trust in him. Turn to God in repentance. Be buried in the waters of baptism and receive for yourself what God's promised, that wonderful gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, his spirit to live within you, be added to his people. All of those great gifts that we can receive because Jesus came into the world. Maybe you're here this morning, you are a Christian, but while at one point you came to him, you've wandered away. You need to make changes in your life. Whatever your need may be this morning, if we can help you in any way, it's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.